the spouse is not going to try to be your spiritual director in a formal sense, but is someone who can walk with you, with whom you can talk about the burdens, and it makes all the difference. Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Father Tim Gallagher. He's a priest with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community dedicated to retreats and spiritual formation, according to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. And you're also an author. The book we're going to talk about today is Discernment of Spirits Spirits and Marriage, which very important since we all know marriage is, is under attack. How can people uh, look at the books you've written, find out, purchase them? Where can they follow what you're doing? Well, all of my materials are available through my website, which is just FR for Father, so frtimothygallagher.org. Um, I have a Facebook page as well uh, by that name. But uh, the book itself is available anywhere books are available. So through Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any bookstore. So it's very, very readily available. So what made you? And I know you've written other books on the discernment of spirits and how important it is in our lives. What prompted you to write one focus particularly on marriage? Well, it began several years ago with a suggestion by uh, my editor, who. Um, asked me if I would ever consider writing a novel about discernment, something I'd never remotely thought of. The idea being that uh, people who might not so readily read a formal book on spiritual teaching might be interested to read something that told a story, you know, and in that way get introduced to the teaching. So finally, after thinking about that for several years, I developed the format that this book uses. So you have Mark and Anne, who are not two people individuals by that name, but they're kind of an amalgam of uh, married couples I've worked with for, well, close to 40 years now. And if I've done the book well, the experiences that they go through reflect what actually might happen in real life in, uh, in, in the experience of husbands and wives. So that's, that's how the book uh, came about. I call it a semi-novel because there is a continuing story, but it's uh, interrupted in every chapter to apply the experience to the teaching of St. Ignatius's rules. My hope was to create a format that makes this teaching, these 14 practical guidelines about the ups and downs of the daily spiritual life, that would make it very concrete and real for uh, readers. And it just seemed really important to apply it to marriage, because that is the vocation that most of us live. So that that's really how the book came about. Well, I, I love the way you did write it because you go through situations that many people can relate to between a husband and wife. And, you know, the deal is that we need to understand that the evil one hates marriage, right? He hates family. He hates marriage. So to think that he's not going to attack it, and we see it all over the place, right? We even, you know, the Supreme Court in 2015 and Oberfell and Hodges tries to redefine marriage, uh, to be almost anything at this point. Um, but the evil one really wants to go after marriage. And discernment of spirits individually is one thing, but now you got two people uh, being worked on in different ways by the evil one. So it's really important to understand the attacks, to understand those 14 rules you mentioned, to have any chance of being able to deal with it, right? 
Yes, I, I'd say, you know, what Ignatius does is to highlight the action of the two spirits, you know, the good spirit, by which he means God, as God works in the hearts of his children, and then all of those influences that are from God and directed toward God. So that's, of course, the good angels, the power of grace instilled in us through baptism, good influences around us in the world. And then the other actor is the one Ignatius calls the enemy, and that would be Satan and his associated fallen angels. The wound of concupiscence that we carry um, as a legacy of original sin, and then harmful influences around us uh, in the world. So Ignatius is really looking at the action of both spirits. And uh, the primary action is really that of the good spirit, because what's always primary in uh, all of Scripture and salvation history and in our lives is the action of the infinitely loving, omnipotent God in our lives. But, as you point out very well, we don't want to be naive about the fact that usually in undramatic ways, but if we don't perceive them and respond to them, the enemy will be attempting to undermine any vocation, but as you suggest, I think in a special way, marriage, because it's so fundamental to the lives of so many of us and to the well-being of the Church and the world. So what Ignatius does, in what I think it's fair to call a uniquely unparalleled way, is to help us see both how we can, how the Good Spirit, God's love, is working day by day, but also how the enemy may be attempting to discourage us and, and uh, bring temptations that will weaken us in living that vocation. And as uh, I'll finally add that I think you're absolutely right that this teaching as applied to marriage gets increasingly important as there is increasing confusion about marriage itself. And as the culture supports the married vocation less and less, an individual understanding by a husband and a wife, and even more together if both can be doing this, uh, becomes very powerful. Maybe I will add just one more thing. Sure. The book is only been, only has been out, when did it come out? Maybe four or five months ago, and uh, if that. And one of the nicest um, responses that I've gotten to it thus far, it was from uh, a woman who sent an email, and she told me that she and her husband are going through the book together, and they're finding themselves talking now together in a way they've never done before in their marriage. I'd love to think that that could repeat for individual husbands and individual wives and then for both together. Well, and communication's key to marriage, right? When you stop communication, then you're really opening yourselves up to the evil one. And I think, you know, what's so good, I think the way you've done the book and go, th- go through all 14 uh, spiritual exercises is that, you know, the evil one's really good at putting little irritants in, right? They, that don't seem like much, but they can really... Uh, fester in a marriage and and really cause a demise to a marriage. So understanding this and and living it and speaking, and I think you're right, right? The communication is key. But, you know, the very first rule starts off with, you know, going from mortal sin to mortal sin. And rule 14 is a reminder that the evil one looks for our weaknesses and goes after them. He doesn't attack our strengths. He goes after where we're weak. So there really is a game plan, but you mentioned earlier the the good spirit, our you know our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit, is with us. And the stronger the the more we grow in that relationship, that's the key one. Because when we do that, all the other relationships seem to fall in place, don't they? Yeah, you know what you say highlights something uh, key, and that is, as I said before, there is nothing dramatic 
about the experience that uh, St. Ignatius is describing here. It's the ordinary day-to-day kinds of ups and downs, what Ignatius calls spiritual consolations and spiritual desolations that we all experience. So when we think, for example, of the enemy's tactics, we're not thinking of uh, extraordinary phenomena. It's the kind of discouraging lies that you say or little things that can seep in as irritants or uh, discouragements in daily living. And it's precisely because this is so ordinary and undramatic and daily that it's so important to be aware of this kind of experience, to be able to name it as the tactic uh, of either the good spirit or the enemy that it may be, and then to know how to respond to it. So, yeah, precisely because it's um, you know, the, the, the high points, the major decisions and so forth in the spiritual life only happen very occasionally, you know, in the spiritual life. Most of the spiritual life is on this daily level. And uh, to be able to understand this kind of daily experience and then know how to respond to it makes all the difference. And what Ignatius does is to supply a way of understanding and uh, therefore the capacity to talk about a lot of experience that's always going on. Because as I'm saying, these ups and downs are going on for all of us with our individual nuances all the time. But most of us, and certainly I'll add myself to this, without Ignatius, I would have had never had a vocabulary for this. I wouldn't have even known how to talk about it. And I love seeing this in people when they begin to realize, oh, that's what I've been experiencing. And now I know what it is, and I know how to talk about it. And if husbands and wives can begin to do that together. There was a couple that was uh, telling me as we went through this book, that uh, they've gotten to the point now where if one of them is experiencing the uh, discouragements of the enemy, you know, these spiritual desolations, when we just don't have the same energy for prayer and living our vocation and our relationship with God just doesn't feel so close. No shame in experiencing that, just tactics of the enemy. That what they'll do is uh, they'll send a text to the other, one spouse will send a text to the other spouse, this is what I'm experiencing. And uh, just to communicate and uh, to be praying for each other is enormously strengthening for them. So all kinds of things are possible when husbands and wives individually and together um, get a hold of this experience and the vocabulary to talk about it. Well, the other thing I think that is so good about when you read this and you come to understanding, I mean, it, life throws a lot of curveballs at you, and anybody can hit a fastball, like they say, but curveballs are tough. Um it really helps you or the individual and the marriage from being on this emotional roller coaster, right? Either too high or too low. It kind of brings things into perspective, doesn't it? Well, yes. Uh, the ups and downs, as I've been saying, that's normal. In fact, St. Ignatius begins to want to know more clearly what's going on when we don't experience something like that. So to get very concrete about it, maybe, um, Something didn't go so well at work in the preceding day, or there's a tension somewhere in the family. And so, let's say the husband or the wife just feels uh, that discouragement as he or she rises, normally spends some time in prayer, but finds it hard to have the energy to even want to do that or to get to daily Mass. And so, what I'm describing is the, the downs, you know, of spiritual desolation. And at another time, um, maybe a time of prayer brings with it a real sense of God's closeness and love and new courage in His service, or we receive communion and just feel the Lord's closeness and new strength. And what I'm describing here is spiritual consolation. So all of this is normal. 
uh, in the spiritual life. Now, the important thing, as I'll, as I'll keep saying, and this is where Ignatius goes in these 14 short, essential, usable guidelines, is this is how you can understand this, and uh, this is what you need to do about it, do or not do, in the one situation or the other. Well, and I think the way you wrote the book as this, you know, fictional couple, which is, like you said, it's kind of an amalgam of, of things you've probably heard throughout your mini- priestly ministry, um, is that, you know, it's communication is key. Uh, you talked about it, you know, I, I, I laughed when I was reading the book and you mentioned, hey, whatever you do, don't forget rule five. And then as you go on to the book, oh, by the way, don't forget rule 13 or e- either, which really in rule 13 is bring things out into the light, right? The devil loves the darkness. The good spirit wants you to bring it out so you can talk about it, find somebody who can kind of help you through it, who you trust spiritually. It really is key to bring things out into the light. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned rules 5 and 13. Uh, if I never did anything else other in any teaching I do other than to bring those to two rules to as many people as I could, it would be well worth it. So rule 5 very simply says... When you are in a time of desolation, never make a change. Just eight words. In a time of desolation, never make a change. I'll repeat it once more. In a time of desolation, never make a change. Which says this. When you realize that you're in that situation of spiritual discouragement, no energy for the spiritual life, and you plan to take this step spiritually, but you you find yourself rethinking it and you were going to go on the retreat or get to confession on Saturday afternoon or spend this time praying every day or get to daily Mass or take this new step in uh, living your married vocation. And the energy wanes for all of that. It's enough for you to know that you're in a time of spiritual desolation and you know that you should change nothing of what you'd planned to do before the desolation began. That single rule will get you safely through almost any darkness you may ever experience in the spiritual life. And the second rule 13 says that, yeah, just as you said, uh, Deacon, when a a person is oppressed by the burdens of the enemy, discouragement, temptations, don't be alone with it. But find a wise and competent spiritual person and talk about it. You know, like the example I just gave of the couple that uh, are in touch with each other when they are experiencing a time of spiritual desolation or temptation and Marriage has this unique uh, blessing that only in the married vocation uh, is that person quite likely right with you in your own house, you know? Mm-hmm. Who's not, the spouse is not going to try to be your spiritual director in a formal sense, but is someone who can walk with you, with whom you can talk about the burdens, and it makes all the difference. And I hope as the book unfolds and that we watch Mark and Ann do this, one of Mark's great discoveries as he says, maybe halfway through the story, in all of these different struggles in the spiritual life, I never realized until now that my greatest help was right here in the house with me. And as he and Anne begin to work together on these things, something wonderful comes into their marriage. Yeah, and I think, you know, reading that book and the way you went about talking about the couple, and you mentioned about the halfway part, right? You could see where at that halfway mark in the book, where couples would just say, you know what, I'm done. I'm tired of this stuff. I'm not going to deal with it anymore. Um, it's so easy to quit, but then that goes against rule number five, right? Don't do anything stupid. And I can look back at my own life and think, you know, when I've made poor decisions, 
my head wasn't screwed on tight because things were going on in my spiritual life that that you know wasn't consolation. So I think the book and re- hearing a, a you know a, a situation between a married couple really should be eye opening to people. Oh, I I think these rules really are that. And if the book is successful in making them concrete, you know, and accessible and the format um, easy to read, then it's done what I hope is a great service. But I've been teaching these rules now for, I don't know, 35, close to 40 years now to all kinds of groups in all kinds of uh, locations. And uh, the reason actually that I'm doing that is not something I ever planned. When I first began uh, kind of hesitantly to give just short talks on these rules, it was the response that generated everything. People just couldn't get enough of this because for the first time in their lives, for many people, they were able to make sense out of what they've been experiencing for a long time. And to realize this, you know, this discouraging voice that I'm hearing uh, in my heart, that's not God's voice. That's not the good spirit. That's the enemy. And uh, to find freedom from that and to be able to reject that and go forward without those burdens, it makes an enormous difference. And I'd say, Deacon, you know, that as the the reasons around us, uh, the vulnerabilities to discouragement uh, increase, you know, as things, as we watch what happens in the culture, our country, politics, sufferings of our church in various ways, this teaching gets increasingly important. It can make all the difference in finding our balance in difficult times. In any time, obviously, this is for the whole spiritual life and in any age. But in our own time, I think it's beginning, it's becoming increasingly, I'd say, necessary. Uh, and I say that out of long experience and watching the difference that this is making in so many people's lives. It's beautiful to see these 14 rules. I'd say, well, I published my first book on them in 2005, so that's 16 years ago. Um, I've just watched over these years how widespread they're becoming. Look what we're doing right now. This, you know, even five years ago, probably this would have never, this conversation would not have happened. It's very beautiful to see people beginning to realize what a treasure they have there. Well, and, and not only is this critical to a marriage, right? In terms of married couples, we need to be examples to our children, right? I mean, it's critical to show them right, how to understand this. Because if we can do this in a generational level, which this book could create if, if, if husbands and wives, uh, you know, took it to heart, really you're, you're changing the dynamics of marriage for decades to come if, if parents can foster this within a family. That's really well said. You know, what, what always happens, let's say I go into a parish, you know, virus permitting, um, well, I'm doing it all still, but it's just virtual right now. But let's say you go into a parish or you do it virtually and you have a few hundred people uh, receiving the teaching. Invariably, what happens is uh, parents will ask, is there a way to make this available to my children? And it may be elementary school age or teenage, because as they realize how practical this wisdom is, um, then, of course, they want it for their children. And We are creating ways for that to happen right now. Uh, Some of those, um, some of those avenues are being uh, put in place right now, and I hope we'll have them fairly shortly. But what what that indicates is exactly what you're saying. That um, it's enough. Really, the the starting point is for the husbands and wives 
themselves to get a hold of this teaching. And I hope this book is a short, um, readable, concrete, understandable way for that to happen. And once they do, the question that you raised and many others like it are um, necessarily going to arise. I want my children to have this. What if, for example, our teenage children do those eight words of Rule 5, in time of desolation, never make a change? How much suffering would be uh, avoided in their lives, you know, and how many harmful choices would never happen? That's the kind of thing that uh, parents begin to want for their children. So that's a lovely image of, you know, generation after generation uh, benefiting from this. I'd love to see that happen. Well, and going back to Rule 13, right, it's not uncommon for teens to get quiet all of a sudden, right? They don't want to talk to mom and dad. And and okay, if you don't want to talk to mom and dad, find somebody to talk to. Don't keep things bottled up because that combination of 5 and 13, if you screw both of those up, you're asking for deep trouble. Yes, and of course it would be wonderful if the teens and their parents are relating in such a way that the teens know that they can bring this to their parents, and they'll be received in a loving and understanding way and be helped. Um, it's, yeah, of course, that, that'd be the first place to look. Right. It's important not just to speak to anyone, maybe someone who is more confused than the teen is. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, we don't want the blind leading the blind. No. So Ignatius is very clear about that. And, you know, speak about a wise and competent spiritual person. But this is another aspect of the married vocation in which the help is right at hand. Uh, Please God, if if parents and children are able to have that kind of relationship, you don't have to go looking too far for it. It's right there. You know, this this would be a great book to give out for marriage prep, right? If you're planning on getting married and you want to understand kind of how things, you know, how the good spirit works, how the evil spirit works, not only in yourself, but in a relationship, that would be the time to kind of foster that. So you kind of get married and you hit the ground running and, you know, you're not like idiots like me who take 20, 30 years to figure it out. And, uh, you know, you wish they'd have done it sooner. Well, you know, whenever people uh, say, I wish I'd learned this, what, 10, 20, 30, 50 years ago. Right. My heart actually lifts because what that means is the teaching is really hitting home now and probably in a way that it would not hit home had it not been for that earlier experience. But having said that, yes, if we can get this teaching into people's hands, uh, you know, sooner rather than later, as I say, two things will happen. A lot of suffering that could be avoided will be avoided. And then um, a strengthening of the person's life of faith and relationship with God will always result from this as well, as it's liberated from that burden, you know, of those kinds of choices. And our hearts grow increasingly able to recognize and respond to God's, the good spirit, God's uh, continuing action in our lives. Sure. Well, and and you mentioned it just a little bit ago, right? All the noise out in the world today, you know, the cancel culture, what's going on with, you know, protests and riots and politically. I mean, all that noise can really tune out us being able to hear the good spirit. How important is it for married couples to unplug? Well, I'll answer that with uh, some words of um, the 19th century Danish uh, philosopher slash theologian Soren Kierkegaard, who at that time, so this is 150 years ago, uh, think of 
where we are today. <laughs> he said that uh, if I were a doctor and I could prescribe just one remedy for all the ills of the modern world, I would prescribe silence. And he goes on to discuss this, um, and then he ends with this powerful injunction, create silence. When I teach this and have a PowerPoint, I put those two words up on the screen, and we just look at them for a while, create silence. Yes, you know, it's like the um, uh, prophet Elijah on Mount Horeb, when he knows that uh, God is going to be coming, and there's the, you know, the fire and the earthquake and the wind that shatters the rocks, and he knows that in none of those is God's voice, um, God's approach. And then there's just a tiny little breath of wind, a, a movement in the air, and he covers his face and goes out to meet the Lord. You can't hear what Scripture calls a still, small voice unless you're quiet enough to hear it. And the starting point for living these 14 rules is what Ignatius calls awareness. And that requires us, yes, to have enough Whatever you'd call it. Yeah, unplugged time today is probably a pretty good way, way to say it. You know, with the phone turned off and not in our pockets, uh, the television turned off and the computer. Spaces where we can really just hear a still small voice. Primarily that of, of the good spirit of God leading in our lives so that we can follow it. But also to become aware of these undramatic but significant uh, discouraging lies and desolations of the enemy. So all of this starts with awareness. Um, Kierkegaard says it really well, create silence. If it's only, um, you know, sometimes I will consciously, let's say as I'm going for a walk for exercise, oftentimes I'll be listening to, um, oh, I don't know, the Liturgy of the Hours or a Rosary app or a talk or something. But sometimes I just consciously put all that aside. And I just want to be aware of my surroundings, you know, just be in touch with uh, what's stirring within. Choices like that create the space in which we can start to live the discerning life. Well, again, I think this book does a great job of talking about, you know, how to be aware, what's going on. There's another book that, I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's called The Power of Silence by Cardinal Sarah. If you want to figure out how important silence is on top of what you just said, I would highly recommend that. Um, again, are you working on any other books, or are you going to take a break? Oh, no, there are always books going on. <laughs> so uh, I've just published another one, uh, just uh, just a matter of days uh, since it's come out, entitled A Biblical Way of Praying the Mass, and subtitled The Eucharistic Wisdom of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, who was the priest who founded my community and who has a lovely way of praying the Mass. 